0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Maryland native Mike Rowe hosts a show on Facebook Watch, called Returning the Favor. And about two months ago, my Facebook started blowing up with people sharing an episode about a nonprofit in Northeast Tennessee that was started by a former faculty member of my alma mater, Milligan College. Rhonda Paulson, along with a few people that Ray and I went to school with, started the Isaiah 117 house in order to provide a safe place and a comfortable place for children who are awaiting foster care placements. You see, when a child comes into custody of the Department of Children's Services, there's a lag time. And that time is often spent at the DCS office. So kids stay there hoping and waiting that someone takes them in. And sometimes it's just an hour, but sometimes it can be three days. So the Isaiah 117 house was started so that they can reduce trauma on the the day that children are removed from their families by placing them into a temporary home where there's a bed, a place to shower, new clothes, and a lot of love. This all started in 2014 when Rhonda and her husband began the process of becoming foster parents. As part of their certification, they had to go to a DCS office. And as they took the tour, a DCS employee shared with them that when a child is removed from their home... They come here. And Rhonda asked, what do you mean that the child comes here? And the DCS employee said, a little girl slept on this floor last night. It's a very powerful and emotional episode. If you're looking for a good cry this week, you just need to Google Mike Rowe and Rhonda Paulson, and you'll find the episode of returning the favor. But there's one thing that Rhonda said that hits me every single time I watch the episode. After Rhonda visited DCS, she was overcome by the story of the little girl who was sleeping on the floor and realized that something needed to be done. And she told God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll do it. Six years later, her team runs 14 homes in Tennessee and Indiana with plans to start many more. Here's what Rhonda knows it's not enough to just have compassion it's what you do with that compassion is that what truly matters, right? She felt a burden, a feeling in the pit of her stomach, a thought that she couldn't shake. And instead of leaving it at that, she did something. God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll do it. Right now, we're in this series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Because now more than ever, we need to be good neighbors. And the foundation of this series is the fact that we have to know our neighbors. We have to know how they're doing. We have to know what they're struggling with. We have to know what's going on in their lives, that we can't just approach them as people who live next door or the people with the dog or the people who drive the gray car. Because when we get to know our neighbors, we get to know their stories. And when we get to know their stories, that's when we can actually be good neighbors and care for them, encourage them, and love them the way that we love ourselves. And last week, we talked about the fact that being a good neighbor means we should be praying for our neighbors. Today is all about serving our neighbors. So here's the deal about Christianity that often gets overlooked. Following Jesus is simple and actionable. For thousands of years, we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. We've created dividing lines and churches have split over non-essentials. We've created barriers for people when it comes to being a part of the church. We've created hoops that people have to jump through in order to feel close to God. We have made it way more complicated than Jesus ever intended it to be. But at its core, following Jesus is simple and actionable. Now, quick side note. If you have ever felt like Christianity was too complicated, too confusing, or had too many rules, that has way less to do with Jesus and way more to do with people getting in the way. And if at some point that's led you to walking away from church or or walking away from Jesus, I hope today is a breath of fresh air for you and maybe even a reset in your faith. You see, before Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, he spent three years doing ministry And during that time, he taught about the kingdom of God. He performed miracles, and he set out to prove that he was the Messiah, the one sent by God to rescue his people. And throughout his ministry, he simplified things. When asked what the most important commandment was, Jesus answered, love God and love people. He summed up 613 laws in the Old Testament into two simple and actionable things. And he explains that if you do those two things, the rest will just follow. But then Jesus simplifies it again toward the end of his life. Jesus says in John 13, so now I am giving you a new commandment. And so he says, I'm going to make this even simpler for you. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And this was so core to Jesus' teaching. And it's important to know that Jesus didn't say, love others the way I have taught you. Jesus didn't say, love others the way that song goes. Jesus didn't say, love others because mom told you to. He said, love others the way I have loved you. That means to love people unconditionally, to show people grace even when they don't deserve it, to not just have the feeling of love toward people, show them that you love them because loving people requires action. Jesus continued. He says, "Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples." And again, Jesus could have said anything he wanted to. He could have said, "Your knowledge of me will prove to the world." He could have said, "How spiritual you are." He could have said, "How much you read your Bible." But said he tells us that our love for one another is what proves to the world that we follow Jesus. This is how Christians are to be characterized. This is how Christians are to be recognized. And the rest, to be honest, the rest are kind of just details. Now think about this. Imagine a world where people might be skeptical of what we believe, are still envious of how well we treat each other, and are amazed by how well we treat them. You see, long before there were chapters and verses, long before there was a Bible, There was a version of Christianity that captured the attention of the world because of how people who followed Jesus chose to treat other people. It wasn't about what they believed. It was a version of faith that did things. It was actionable. It was a version of faith that spread throughout the world because of how people who followed Jesus chose to serve their neighbors, their friends, their community. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're skeptical about this whole thing, I want to give you a heads up that what I'm about to read was written to Christians and specifically to the early church. So the truth is you're, you're kind of off the hook on this one. But think of this as a behind-the-scenes look of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And my hope is that you hear this today and realize that this is something you want to be a part of. That following Jesus is something that you want to do because it's simple And actionable. So, John, the author of the two verses I just read, isn't just some guy. He is one of Jesus' closest followers. He wrote one of the four biographies of Jesus along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He had a front row seat for Jesus' ministry. He was with Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan River when Jesus was 30 years old. He was with Jesus when he died three years later. John was the first person to put into print the truth that God is love, which is a uniquely Christian idea. And as an old man, John writes to first century Christians. He writes a letter to the church. And just for a moment, I want you to imagine that I'm not reading from the Bible. Because when this was written, it was just a letter written by an eyewitness to the events of Jesus. And it was written to men and women who were not eyewitness to the, witnesses to the events of Jesus, but had become followers of Jesus, people like us. We didn't see it happen, but we heard it. And here's what John, the friend of Jesus, wrote to all of us in 1 John 3. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. In other words, from the moment you began to entertain the fact that maybe Jesus was the Son of God, here's what you were told. We should love one another. That makes sense, right? Jesus said that over and over again. We just read it. And when John is writing this, it's been a few years since Jesus had died and resurrected from the dead and then came back to earth and then eventually he ascended into heaven. So John's just reminding people that loving one another is Jesus following 101. Like this is the basics. This is the very first thing you heard when you began to follow Jesus. And after illustrating that with a story from the Old Testament, this is what he says. We know that we have passed From death to life because. In other words, we have confidence that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Why? Because the Bible tells us so? Wrong. Because the Bible didn't even exist at that point. Because we believe the correct things? Because we have a lot of knowledge? Not according to John, who knew Jesus. He says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates another brother or a sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And then he says this. This is how we know what love is. Because it's not a general love. This is a unique brand of love. It was something that John experienced. He saw it. This is how we know what this unique brand of love looks like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And here's what stands at the center of Christian faith. Here's what stands at the center of everything we believe and all that we say we've embraced and all that we say we follow when it comes to following Jesus. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And in light of that, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the central message of Christianity. In light of what God, through Jesus, has done for us, this is what we should do for others. When John says, brothers and sisters, he's talking about other followers of Jesus, but we know that it's more than that. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we read the story of the Good Samaritan. In that story, Jesus is telling others to love their neighbors, and a lawyer asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And remember, he isn't asking that because he wants to love more people. He's looking for a loophole so he can love less people. And Jesus gives a definition of who a neighbor is. He says, your neighbor is anyone who has a need you can meet. Whether they look like you or not, believe the same thing as you or not, deserve to be treated well or not. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. It's a single mother living next door trying to balance work and taking care of kids. It's the essential employee who's living in an RV or their garage because they're afraid to get their family sick. It's the coworker who cannot figure out how to mute themselves when on Zoom. It's the person with different political opinions than you. It's the person who rubbed you the wrong way the first time you met them. It's the person who Jesus, follows Jesus, and it's the person who's far from God. You see, when Jesus says neighbor, it really comes with the broadest definition possible. Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. John continues If if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How can the love of God be in that person? and I know this is a bold question, but put yourself in John's shoes for a second. John saw Jesus crucified. He saw the beatings. He saw the humiliation. He saw the agony. He literally saw Jesus pay the price for his sins, for my sins, for your sins. Like this was not a story that he heard. This was a piece of history that he witnessed. So he's saying, in light of what I saw, how can the love of God be inside of someone who refuses to care for their neighbors who have a need when Jesus gave up his life for those same people? John's getting worked up. And he continues. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Don't just sing about it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just sit and wait for someone else to do it. Take action. Do something because our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Our actions show who we are. Our actions show what we believe. Our actions show who we're following. The overflow of our faith is action. This is why James says in James 2, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Right? Our faith comes out in how we act, how we serve, how we treat other people. And listen, just like John, James isn't just some dude. Right? The truth is, James isn't some pastor like me who's reading the Bible and trying to interpret it and teach it to you. James is the half-brother of Jesus, meaning they share the same mom. And James spent his entire life not believing that Jesus was the son of God, and then he saw him resurrected from the dead. I've joked about this before, but what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? Right? Like if a sibling came up to you and said, I am the Messiah, and I was sent to rescue God's people, what would you need for him to prove it? Walking on water? Turning water into wine? I think we'd all very much agree with that right now. Healing people? Right? James saw all of that and still didn't believe. But when James saw the resurrected Jesus, it changed his entire life. In fact, he was eventually killed because of his belief that his brother was the son of God. So when James writes, I will show you my faith by how I live, he meant it. And he didn't just make this up on his own. He's teaching you, he's teaching us what he saw his half-brother, Jesus, do. So John and James are challenging Christians in the early church. And they're saying, how dare we shut our hearts, our minds, and our compassions down when there's a need? In light of all that Jesus has done for us, in light of what God has done for me, and in light of what God has done for you, how can we ignore someone in need? And I think they would say this to us today. If you stood with me, if you stood with Jesus' mother, if if you'd seen Jesus give his life for that person who has that need that I could meet, if Jesus gave his life for that person, certainly I can do something. If we had seen what God had seen, we would never hesitate to take care of the needs of others. And listen, I just want to make sure I'm being very clear here. Because in no way are John and James saying that you need to earn your way into heaven. They're not saying that you have to earn grace. They're not saying that you have to earn God's love. What they're saying is, if you are a follower of Jesus, the way that plays out in your life is how you love other people. This is cause and effect. Serving others should be at the core of what you believe. And that is why we serve our neighbors. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I want to serve my neighbors, but I don't know how. The best way to serve your neighbors is to be you. That means use the gifts and resources that you already have. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Right? You have gifts that have been given to you by God. You have talents. You have skills. You have resources. You have thoughtfulness. You have experiences. Use what you have to serve others. Paul says it like this in Romans 12. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Now, the word prophesy simply means to proclaim or declare the will of God. Another way to think of this is to confidently share about your faith in Jesus. But he continues, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. If, If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Use what God has given you to serve others. You don't have to raise millions of dollars to make a difference. You don't have to go viral to make an impact. You don't have to put on an event. You don't have to be famous. You don't even have to be considered essential to care for people. You simply have to love others the way that Jesus has loved you. Here are some examples Take a meal to your neighbor so they can have a break from cooking and doing dishes for the night. Pick up extra toilet paper so they don't have to make an extra trip to the store. Mow their lawn. Send them an encouraging note in the mail. People love getting mail. Write them an encouraging note in sidewalk chalk. Share a book with them. Stand six feet apart and just listen to them. Bring up their trash cans after trash day. Send them beer. Listen, people. You can have beer delivered to someone's house right now. Make them cookies. Send them a kid's activity for their children. Make them masks so they can wear them to the store. Send them coffee. These are just examples that I have seen from people in this church over the past few weeks. Serve your neighbors, not because they deserve it or because they've earned it, but because it is the overflow of your faith. And when they ask you, why are you doing this? Because it won't make sense. When they ask you, why are you praying for me? Why are you feeding me? Why are are you thinking about me? Why are you caring about me? You simply say, because that is what Jesus did for me. In Matthew 20, Jesus says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason why we serve is because Jesus served first. The reason why we care for our neighbor is because Jesus cared for us first. The reason why we love others is because Jesus loved us First, And he loved us so much that he gave up his own life so that we could experience eternity with God, so that we could experience freedom, so that we could live in grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and gave up his life for you. You see, our sin, us walking out of alignment with what God wants for us, put a wedge between us and God. And it was a debt that we couldn't pay. So, Jesus came and lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross to pay that debt for us. He paid the ransom so that we could be free. And all you have to do is say yes to that. Right? It's that simple. And in response to that love and grace, when you're ready to choose Jesus as your leader and forgiver, you take action, you get baptized which means to be immersed in water. It symbolizes the death and burial of your old self and the raising of yourself up into new life. And check this out. Even though we aren't meeting together on Sunday morning right now, it doesn't stop people from making decisions of faith and getting baptized. Last week, we got to baptize Josh Crow. Check this out.
1: Hey Collective, we're so glad you're joining us. Right now, uh, we are celebrating Josh Crow's baptism at Collective, and it's just gonna be an awesome time. Um, if you didn't know, Josh is celebrating uh, and is our 75th baptism at Collective, and that is an awesome thing. Uh, we're just honored to celebrate Josh and his decision to get baptized, and him being the 75th person at Collective to get baptized is, just a, true, is a true testament to what God's doing at Collective. Um, just a little bit about Josh. Um, uh, Not only is he a really good-looking dude and got all kinds of tattoos on him, but uh, he's got a hard goal. He loves to serve people, and he loves to serve the Lord. And uh, just a couple months ago, him and I were having a chat over text, and uh, he just told me, Hey, uh, I just want to let you know at my place of work, uh, I'm going to be stepping down from uh, my position to another position. And because I want to be more available at Collective, and I want to serve Uh, My church. And when he told me that, I was just really excited. You know, I teared up a little bit. I I got choked up just a little bit because, as his friend, that's a big deal to me personally. But I also knew that his decision, his decision to obey what he felt God asking him to do, uh, to be available for his church, to serve his community, to serve his church, to serve his team uh, that he serves on, uh, is going to be a ripple effect for uh, the future of our church. And so that was just really exciting for me to know, uh, because of his obedience, because of his decision to be available, uh, it's going to minister to tons of people at our church. So today, we're celebrating you, Josh, your decision to get baptized, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So let's get to it. All right, man. Let's repeat after me. Uh, I believe I believe that, Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. And upon that confession of faith and I'll baptize thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Woo. Woo! <laughs> Oswald Chambers once said, trust God and do the next thing. What is the next thing you need to do? For some of you, it's finally trusting God and getting baptized. And if you're ready to do that, you can text BAPTISM to this number to talk directly to a staff member. Or if you'd rather not talk to someone right away, you can head to mycollector.church online and you can check the, bo- the baptism box as you fill out a connection card. Either way, we would love to have a conversation with you this week. For many of you, the next thing you need to do is find a way to serve your neighbors this week. Use your talents, your time, your resources to show people around you what the love of Jesus looks like. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you loved us first. God, because the truth is, uh, we're pretty unlovable. God, we're messy and we're broken. God, we're selfish, we're arrogant. God, we carry a lot of weight with us. But the truth is, time and time again, we read this in the Bible, that it really is that simple, that you love us. And God, because you love us, you ask us to love other people in the same way. God, you ask us to take action, to show people around show our neighbors, show our friends, show our family that we love them. So God, I pray this week that we have the opportunity to serve our neighbors. God, that you give us the courage to do it. God, ultimately, that you give us the resources and the skills and the talents and the time to do it. God, give us an opportunity this week to love our neighbors in such a way that they ask, why are you doing this? And that we get to share with them that the reason why we love them is because Jesus loves them, because Jesus loved us. God, we're so thankful that this isn't just a theory. God, this isn't just something that that I've made up, that Michael has made up on the spot to teach a church but it's something that John and James saw. God, God, it's something that they gave up their life believing and fighting for. This truth that you love us so much, but yet for some reason you came perfect and you came to serve us, this broken group of people. And all you ask in return is that we accept that love and then pass it on to other people. God, help us do that this week. God, help us wake up every day recognizing that your love for us is so much that we're able to bring that out into our communities and our neighborhoods and our families and in our world. God, we thank you. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.